Hello, and welcome to the Bedtime Storycast, the podcast where I talk and you fall asleep. My name is Mike, and I invite you to get comfortable under the covers. Take a few deep breaths in and out. And just settle in as we listen to another soothing bedtime story entitled Exhibit. This story was written by Jordan Blancet. Sweet dreams. As Evan disembarked from the swaying deck of the Black Ball Ferry, he adjusted his pack on his back, inhaling a lungful of the salty, heady sea air. The massive ship beneath his feet, solid and steadfast, gave way to a clanking metal gangplank that rumbled satisfyingly with every step as he tread from the height of the deck to the solid ground of Victoria. The journey had been a short one, two hours, perhaps three of watching the ship's mighty bow slice through the tendril of Pacific Ocean, known as the Salish Sea, a gray body of water that separated the United States from the Canadian island of Victoria, and cradled its charge like a mother holding her babe. Evan had savored every moment of the waves splashing up the ship's sides, the rolling crash of water droplets, innumerable, alighting the adventurer inside him. Even as his mind descended in a state of welcomed tranquility, For even as the prospect of his day brought a shiver to his spine, it wasn't for the likes of the thrills, his father, his mother, his brother sought as they raced down the forested mountainsides of Washington State. Nor was it the excitement for which the Canadian port town was known, or the music festival that lent a beat to which he could match his step as he marched. No, he was here on another adventure, and for another purpose entirely an endeavor replete with quietude and seclusion. And so he debarked from the metal gangplank beneath his feet and passed through the customs building until his feet spilled out onto Belleville Street. From there, through his eyes, drew hither and yon to the street artists, honing 
their craft for the masses. A plethora of colorful peoples, buildings, and transports vying for his tourist dollars to make a living in this crowded, beautiful city. He turned left to traipse down the busy way. He didn't have far to traverse before his eyes caught sight of his destination. A stately building, somehow both grand and unassuming, with stone-lined walls carefully coddling several stories of windows as it rose to greet the sky. The grounds themselves were impeccably curated, with a stone and concrete courtyard piling up against the shallow steps that climbed to the entryway. Over the front arches of the door set a black sign with white script, modest in its presence and decree. Royal B.C. Museum. With a slight shiver, a shuffle of his day pack, he stepped inside the open, well-lit lobby to greet the worker behind the desk. His voice echoed softly in the expansive atrium. Have you ever been here before? The bookish brunette asked, taking the $20 fee. No, it's my first time, he said softly. I came for the Egyptian exhibit. Excellent choice. Just take the escalators on your left to the second floor, or there's an elevator just behind. When you're done browsing, we also have a gift shop behind that sign there. And with that, the brunette turned back to clicking at her computer pushing her glasses up her nose. Evan smiled to himself as his feet carried him of their own volition, his mind swirling with thoughts of the wonders he was about to encounter. And from the outset, the marvels he had read about did not disappoint. As he padded softly from the escalator to the first foyer, a four-foot-tall statue greeted him, molded from bronze, with thick ankles and wrists supporting curious fingers and toes. He smiled and then nodded his respect, passing the guardian 
to enter a dim room filled with chest-high pillars. Atop each of these, surrounded by glass and lit from low angles, rested a variety of statues crafted from clay and bronze and other curious elements. The first that caught his attention was a cat, tall and regal, sitting upright to judge the room with barren eyes. Keeping its gaze, he stepped aside and then turned his head to greet its companion, a dog that looked to be carved of wood, panting at attention for the back-end call of its departed master. To either side of these statues, a series of stone tablets lined the walls, carefully held in place with a series of metal hooks. They depicted wondrous scenes, at least in part, as the tablets had begun to crumble long ago. A boat guided by teams of oarmen down the Nile, or merchant ships and ferries, or funeral processions gliding peacefully down the still waters. And as he looked on, enthralled by the history entombed in glass before him, his mind yearned for these times so much simpler than our own. Without technology to aid our advancement, and yet just as complex with hierarchies and gods and rules alien to us. shaking his head to dispel these thoughts, he carried on his way into a smaller, darker hallway, feeling the chill of the air conditioner kick in to either side, cooling the exhibit to acceptable temperatures. As the air swirled around him, he detected a scent of musk, of metal, of sand blown and strewn about in the wind of an ancient desert. Setting his shoulders back, he stepped into the large antechamber, lined with black on the walls and ceilings and floors with spots of light illuminating the priceless charges resting behind inches of clear glass. 
before each item and idol, for this room seemed to dote upon religious figures long since given up as myth, was a small placard, carefully laminated and pressed to the felt upon which the relics rested, that described the items above. As Evan grazed through the room slowly, his eyes affixed first to a small statue, no more than six inches in height, a stone image with a beastly head and long yet squat legs languishing upon a tiny pedestal. Anubis, the black red, the god of the dead and of cemeteries, bearing the head of a jackal to protect the deceased on their journey. With a shiver, he moved to the next idol, pausing to read each description of these religious vestiges. The ancient history of some we could only guess. Objects from antiquity, a time where prophecies, animals, gods and goddesses ruled not only the earth, but man as well. Dozens of items passed his sight, from small figurines and clay tablets, to hieroglyphics and ancient paintings dressing stone slabs. A snake depicted with the head and crown of the self-arisen god, Atom, symbolizing the eternal beginning and end, perched precariously atop his stone resting plan. Amun, a human-shaped god with a double crown, resided nearby ready to serve as the aspect to the sun god Ra and the fertility god Min. The creator, the breath of life for everything, was depicted as a ram with calculating eyes and a chipped nose. Isis, wearing a sun disk over her head and a babe in her arms, waited, watched, as the cosmic, maternal deity tasked with protecting the young life that would further her lineage. And then he passed a peculiar column, devoid of decoration or lettering, pulling him from his stupor 
He looked up to find the source of the interruption and found himself gazing into the stony eyes of Sekhmet herself, the goddess of war and healing, protector of ancient rulers, the leader of battles long put out of memory, was hardened in stone, wearing the face of a lioness and a headdress broken at the ends. And yet, somehow, Evan felt her spirit, as though this mighty warrioress was alive, waiting for him. He knew not how long he stood there, but by the time Evan had collected his wits, he realized that he was alone, ensconced in the solitude of this cool, darkened cathedral, rife with ritual and knowledge. And with a slow breath, Feeling his mind settle into a state of tranquility, he stepped into the next room, filled throughout with the busts and depictions of ancient kings and queens. The first, resting quietly on his right, was the head of Akhenaten, a near faceless stone carving graced with a blue crown. He shuffled to a stop to gaze upon the heretic king, who long ago had tried to ban figures of worship in favor of a single deity. And now, here he rested, in proxy, at least, missing his mouth and nose as punishment for this heresy. And there, to his left, he found himself drawn to the divine consort, a rare female ruler of Egypt, immortalized in her colored stone bust And though her eyes looked beyond him, he felt her presence, warm and gentle, wrap around him. The presence of a queen who had brought peace to her kingdom so long ago. And moving to the next case, he was pleasantly surprised when, instead of another bust, he found himself admiring splashes of white and green and blue and yellow, remnants of some of the first glass found in antiquity, intricately designed for the nobility of the day. 
and on the next wall, his eyes lit up at the glorious pottery that served these same nobles, formed from clay and expertly dyed with natural hues of red and white and black and purple. Giant vases and urns, small bowls and plates, jugs for carrying expensive oils and clean water, placed carefully next to cooking cauldrons of stone and metal and clay. Four-footed stools, too, rested nearby, barren of their comforts, yet surrounded by replicas of ancient beds. Though these were empty and small, fit for a mouse and nothing more, Several metal and clay decorations sat about the room as well, highlighting what the nobles of the period may have used to grace their homes with beauty and life. Clay fish swam against a blue backdrop, floating beneath a carved leaf and over a decorated jar, no bigger than the palm of his hand, that was stained with makeup befit a nobleesse. Metallic figurines that could be beetles crawled endlessly through the eons, held aloft by pedestals and wires while a bumbling, six-legged creature, perhaps a bee, flitted idly over their heads. And then, it was time to move on once again, as he could hear the soft murmur of voices approaching from behind. He glanced around the empty room, content with his solitude, his exploration of history, and moved through the doorway into the next chamber, where he found himself darkened, dimmed, and alone. And here, lie table after table of miniature worlds, of palaces and graves, painstakingly built of wood and clay, so that we could peer into the tiny lives of antique peoples. There was the Temple of Aten, 
the heretic king's chosen god, displayed as a disc of the sun, while shrunken down to the size of a banquet table, the plaque noted that the real temple sprawled for over half a mile and towered high into the sky, exhibiting the prowess of Akhenaten and his divine rule over the people and the land. Next to that table arose a rather curious sight. What looked to be a stone village, fabricated of square stone buildings with flat rooftops that nearly brushed their neighbors. To Evan's quiet amusement, it was not a village, at least not a hub of civilization. But rather, it was a town erected around a rock quarry, the likes of which would feed the temple and other monuments with the necessary stone, with workers' units molded around the outside. He wondered silently at the marvels of human innovation, the simple design of the buildings that were yet replete with amenities such as courtyards and gardens. With a slight smile, he stepped a few more feet to the right, and this time, faced a replica of some of the greatest wonders known to man. The famous pyramids, chipped with age and standing tall and proud. And next to that, surrounded by glass and well-lit from above, lie a curious pyramid of unusual scope. At 19 stories high, according to the plaque, with square and sloping sides, it rested in the center of an enormous courtyard designed to hold festival inhabitants as per wishes of the king who'd commissioned the great work. And not only was this a place to protect nobility from the wear of time, but a place to celebrate his life and his achievements in the shadow of his greatness. Pondering quietly at the existence of such monuments, he turned then to the walls of the room, adorned with all the pleasures such a king would have taken with him into the afterlife. Jewelry, ancient 
but well-cleaned, sparkled in the gentle lights. Rings, necklaces, and bracelets, each adorned with shimmering beads and religious figurines. Tablets and even lotus blossoms. And to the side and down, a wide collar to cover the breastbone. A relic savored by upper-class Egyptians, braided from beads and dried petals, designed to embrace the nobles in the grasp of their gods. A number of textiles from the period lay nearby. Cloth patterned with stripes of various thicknesses and colors, imprinted with designs that appeared to lift right off the cloth. As he followed the curve of the wall, he realized then that he was standing in the last doorway, peering into the final room, beyond which shone the gentle light of the exit. His journey to the great past was nearly complete. It was in this room as he stepped through the door and shivered lightly at the breeze of the air conditioning over his shoulders, that the peace that had first drawn his attention rested. The peace he was here to see. And it did not disappoint. Rising tall in the center of the room, the mummy board of the singer Mutemwia, richly painted and decorated with elaborate carvings. And though the bright colors had long since been dulled by time, they were still readily visible on her wooden visage, bringing life to her still expression. And while the board rested upright, her crossed arms and peaceful expression made it appear that were she not yet asleep, she would be soon, ready to pass into the next life and leave but a whisper of her beloved name. She stood there, and stared beyond him for what seemed like hours, but was only a matter of minutes, before the group behind him quietly shuffled in and murmured in his periphery. Nudged once more from his stupor, 
he smiled at the mummy board, wishing that of all the relics in the building, this was the one he could caress with just a finger. But he could not. A fact that her smile seemed to reveal. And so, instead, he bowed respectfully, hands clasped behind him, and made his way from the darkened past into the foyer, and from there to the next floor up. For it was there that the Egyptian boundaries lie, and where the natural history of British Columbia sprawled out before him. His day was not yet over, but his visit into antiquity had come to a close.